0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. I cannot believe we're now into the 60s for episodes. I'm not sure how that happened. Now, I've said to you once, and I'll say it to you again, if you're not working on your personal brand, somebody else is doing it for you, and you're not going to like the results. You've got to be proactive. You've got to be systematic. And you need to get a little bit of advice as to what it's all about. So come back to me, join me, as I will be with Gabrielle Dolan, speaker, author of many books, including the fantastic one I have here, Magnetic Stories. So do not miss this episode,
1: because this is your story and your brand. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma. A podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifica. Hey, hey, hi, Gabriel! <laughs> hi,
0: you. Well, you've got to love that for an intro, haven't you?
2: It's a massive intro. I was dancing along to it. So good, Adam.
0: Now I know you've done a lot of these uh, these podcast interviews, uh, and so I hope that was mildly, just mildly impressive for you. Anyway.
2: It was. It was genuinely very impressive.
0: Uh, thank you so much for being a guest on the Leadership Enigma. It's wonderful to have you. And let's start really by asking you, just give the listeners a little bit of a background about you and how you've got to this place in relation to being uh, a real guru on, you know, personal brand and storytelling.
2: But how did you get here? Yeah, well, it's a question I often ask myself, how the hell did I get here? Um... I look. I, I started my career. You know, Adam. I feel really old when I tell people this because I started my career in technology as a mainframe computer operator. And I don't even know if companies still have mainframe computer operators anymore. But that was that was in the eighties, smack bang in the middle of the eighties. Good good times, the eighties. Yeah. Anyway, I um I worked in corporate all my life. I worked for one of Australia's largest banks. I you know worked myself up the, to senior leadership roles. And um, my last couple of roles at at the bank were in sort of change management and leadership design and delivery. And that's when I sort of started to notice that as a leader, the really good way to communicate more effectively was through stories and and that the stories that you shared could actually get your message across more importantly um, and you could influence people. And so I left the corporate world 17 years ago and started teaching business people how to communicate more effectively through stories when storytelling wasn't really a thing. So, um, yeah, I run training programs around the world. I do speaking at conferences, and um, I've just published my sixth book. Which I do. F- I think you know when you said, "How the hell did you get here?" I actually failed English in my final year ah. of school. But I've I've just published my my sixth book, and the latest book. While well, the while well, the previous five books have been around storytelling internally and. Um, you know real authentic leadership and real communication the latest one is a is a switch of focus around storytelling with brand because i think um we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll talk about why brand and why brand storytelling is important
0: we will we will and everyone's got a story which i always i love to hear and you're right the 80s were fun and it's not about age, it? it's about our wisdom uh, and that's certainly what i want to tap into gabrielle um so tell us a little bit about brand what do we mean when we talk about brand because people will be listening to this and thinking well i have a personal brand there's perhaps an organizational brand so what do we mean by brand
2: yeah and it is But like we all have a brand every company has a brand every even perhaps department even has a brand even maybe a product or a service has a brand but every individual has a brand one of um you know, when I was writing the book, I did a whole lot of research on brand and found all these quotes and one of my favourite quote around what brand is comes from um, Jeff Bezos and he said right. that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And my tweak on that, my tweak on that is your brand are the stories people share about you when you're not in the room because, I mean, as humans we tell stories, it's the way we communicate and what I think people say, like if someone said to me, hey, what's Adam like, I'm inevitably going to tell a story bet I could go, oh yeah, he was good or he was bad. And I'll, I have a story to why I have that, have formed that opinion of him. So to me, if the brand, if your brand is the stories people are sharing about you when you're not in the room, um, then brand storytelling is how you take control of those stories.
0: Wow, I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious now. As I must admit, Gabrielle, I am thinking about <laughs> what is the story that you might be telling people? <laughs> wow. Uh, now, I know you've got some, uh, can you give us kind of a, uh, an early example so that we can kind of understand that? Maybe a, a, good, a good example or a bad example, I don't know, you decide, so we can kind of understand that bring it alive yeah. that personal brand.
2: Bring aspect. it alive. Yeah, look, let me let me I'm going to share a story. Uh it's one of my favorites when I was researching for the book and I think I think it goes to the heart of what the power of what a story could do. So it's not about an individual, but it's it's about um well let me just share it with you. I when I was growing up in the eighties that we've discussed, I was, I was a massive tomboy. I would, you'd find me playing football or cricket uh, or riding my BMX bike and skateboard. I look, and I wasn't into dolls and therefore I never owned a Barbie. Right. And when, you know, the last couple of decades, Barbie sort of copped a bit of a bad rap for being a bad role model for girls, you know, unattainable body body image and all that. And I happily went along with that. And when I had, I've got two daughters that are 17 and 20 now, and when they were born, I never bought them a Barbie. And I think I even told people not to buy them a Barbie. I was like so dead set against Barbie. And then when I was researching for the book, I discovered the backstory to Barbie, and the story goes that in the 1950s, Barbie was invented by Ruth Handler, who was the wife of one of the co-founders of Mattel that makes Barbie. Right. And what this was the 50s. This was in the 50s, and she had two children, a, a, a son and a daughter, called Barbara and Ken. And yes, Ken and Barbie are named after the, their kids. What she noticed that when they were play, both of them were playing with their respective dolls they both imagine themselves as adults. And while Ken was encouraged to see himself as a firefighter or an astronaut or a superhero, the only thing Barbie could see herself was a caregiver. So Ruth pitched this idea of a 3D doll with clothing that would allow the little girl to pretend to be something else besides just a caregiver. Right. And it wasn't initially, you know, she had to push to get it in, but she did get it in. And in 1959, Barbie debuted the New York toy fair. And there's a quote from Ruth handler that says my whole philosophy of Barbie was that through the doll, the little girl could be anything she wanted to be. And that Barbie always represented the fact that a woman has a choice and so as soon as I heard that story, it completely changed my opinion of the brand. Like completely changed it to the point where, um, I you know I never bought my daughters a Barbie, but I may potentially buy any grandkids that come all across a Barbie. And so, but, and that's the concept of a magnetic story that it completely can change. The way people think about you, or talk about you, or the stories they share, and the the sad thing, Adam, is i I was researching for a book, so i had to I had to look really hard to find that story, and I thought, what a missed opportunity that that isn't front and center on their website, and what a missed opportunity that that isn't on every single Barbie product yep. wrapping, because. That's the power of a magnetic story. It's once you hear it, it can ultimately change the perception people have of you. Now, I know that's of a – well, it's not even of a company, really. It's of a product. But I think it highlights what a really, really good magnetic story can do. That's a fascinating
0: story, and I I didn't know that because Barbie is an iconic product. But for some reason, that story got buried. So how does that that happen? How does that happen that such a powerful story got buried? Or – is it over time that wasn't a compelling story decades ago, but it's a compelling story now? I don't know. How did that happen?
2: Yeah, so, so it's a good question. So I think, you know, it's a compelling story now, and surely it was a compelling story 20 years ago so. and 30, 40. Yeah, so it's nothing changed. I think, I think a couple of things happen, and, and this was one of the reasons I wrote the book, um, is I don't think people understand the power of it. I don't think people would understand the power of that story so they therefore they they're not highlighting they're not amplifying and I think that's why like you said it, it can sort of become buried now it, it is there but it's, it's buried where, it, where if they if they understood the power of it then you surely you would go okay let's just let's bring this out and shine a light on it and not bury it and so that's that's why I think it happens.
0: So I, I need to ask the question, which is obviously based on your book. Which thank you so much for sending uh, this to me. So we need to really understand what is a magnetic story. Uh, so how does somebody identify a magnetic story in relation to themselves? So let so let's start there. What is it for someone?
2: Yeah. So um, the, you, one of the hardest things, Adam, writing a book is is landing on the title. <laughs> it's just like I. I always have a I always have a working title in my head, and it's never ever been the title. Right, and um, I was coming up with all these things. I, I knew I knew I wanted to call the book something that um, typified what a good story would do. And in my head, what a good story like the Barbie story does, and I and I can give you heaps of others. What it does is, once you hear it, you have this instant attraction to it like this automatic instant bang attraction to it that's really hard to pull away from. Like it's really hard to forget. It's really hard to change your opinion now that you know that story. And then I sort of thought that's, that's very much like a magnet. Like a magnet is just this instant attraction that you actually have to work hard to pull away from. So that, that's the concept of a magnetic story. Okay. I remember um, when I was thinking of a name for my, my book, my husband came to me and said, I've got the perfect name for your book. And I said, very scarily, what? And it was just like, and he went, Teflon stories. And I just looked at him and went, that is the complete opposite of what I'm trying to get across. I go, Teflon, Teflon, like everything slips off it. And he went. Oh yeah, that's right. So anyway, it, it did it did give me a good starting point to say, are your stories magnetic or Teflon? I, so I, are they sticky? I,
0: I get where he was coming from. To be fair, I, I understand that, but <laughs> you, you didn't yeah, go with it. But,
2: but, but, yeah, he was coming from the complete opposite direction I was coming from, but you know.
0: <laughs> but he was trying to be helpful, Gabriel. He was that.
2: trying to be helpful. That's right. God love him.
0: Now, now in relation to magnetic stories, um, we know, don't we, that they can be deliberate or strategic, I think uh, you you mentioned. So help us understand that, the the difference between deliberate and strategic as regards magnetic stories.
2: Yeah, so this is, it, it sort of comes down to your brand as well. So before you even start thinking about what stories you want to share to communicate, your brand, you, you need to know what your brand is. Like, yeah. what do you like take control of your brand? And, um, and I think, cause like you said, in your intro, if you're, if you're not taking control of your brand, someone else is, it's yeah. just evolving. It's like evolves organically. So you can be quite, strategic with it and deliberate in how you do it or you can just let it evolve organically but what i've found is that if you're not aware what you want your brand to be and it starts to evolve it could take you down a direction you don't want to go um to give you to give you an example i was um when i when i left the corporate world 17 years ago and was you know teaching storytelling, I knew storytelling in business was still professional. It was still a very, very professional way to communicate, but it was different. And so I sort of my brand, I wanted my brand to be my personal brand to be around professional, but different because I think it suited the brand of storytelling, professional, but different. And so, you know, I would the way I would dress, like, you know, I'd, I'd speak on stage at conferences and I'd be wearing jeans, but I'd be wearing a blazer. So it was still professional, but it wasn't, your being, it wasn't your typical corporate dress type thing, but it was still professional. So this is the way my brand evolved. And then about five years ago, I came across a pair of shoes. I, I wasn't really into shoes. I never liked shoes. But I, I came across this brand. They're a great Melbourne designer and they're flat and they're cool and they're loud. They were silver. And they were professional, really high quality, but different. So I thought, yeah, I'll wear these shoes. And literally after wearing them a few times on stage and getting so much feedback and comments about them, it just became my thing, which I was happy about because I thought, well, you know, they're professional and different. Now, it's not as if I said to myself, Hmm, I need to find some shoes that are professional and different. I just found these shoes I liked and it fitted with my brand. So it was aligned with my brand. So then I was happy to amplify the shoes. And in fact, in my last couple of books, there's been photos of me and my publisher says, your shoes have to be on them. Like it's got to be a full length shot to have your shoes on. So, So that was cool. But then another example. Um, this was about this was about two years ago. I um, you've already said I'm a tomboy, so I'm not into nail polish or anything like that. Um, but about two years ago, I got that SNS stuff that you put on. It's like this. It's sort of like fakish stuff, and I didn't. You know, I didn't mind it. It makes you sound like you're typing really fast when you've got fake fingers <laughs> just tap 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 tap, I, tap.
0: I'm going to pretend I know what you're talking just about, even though I just have a, a wife and a teenage daughter. I, I'm going to go with yeah. this, Gabrielle. So just I, go
2: with I, it. Just nod. <laughs> just nod. Um, but the point is, you know, you've got to go get them done, and to get them off, you've got to go back to the you know the nail salon and get them taken off. So it's a bit of high maintenance and i had done it a few times but thought it's not really my thing and i can't be bothered so i'm not going to do it anymore but then we went into lockdown so this was march last year we went into lockdown and everything shut so you couldn't go back and get your nails done so as a little bit of a joke i put on instagram photo of my nails going i wonder how long these last because they just fall off or and then every week i'd update going you know two fallen off and I did this for about three or four weeks. And then what I started to notice is that people were, there was stuff, there'd be stuff on fake nails and people were tagging me in it. And I'm thinking part of my brand is about being authentic and being real. But I was starting to get tagged on posts around fake nails. Okay. And, and so because I'm aware of my brand, I just saw it. I don't want to be known as fake nails but well, first of all they're not even my thing um but being known associated with anything to do with fake is a totally against my brand so i not only stopped posting them i actually deleted the instagram posts i put on and at the time at the time adam i, I busted out, i was thinking oh maybe i'm a, being a bit ridiculous like you know no one takes that much notice. And I wrote about these two examples in my book and I gave my book to quite a few of my clients, my long-term clients. And one of them came back and said, I loved your book. And when I was reading about your nails, I must admit, when I saw your post about your nails on social media, I must admit that I thought that's so against brand. So, I, wa- I wasn't being precious. These were my clients that were seeing my little fun social media things, but they were thinking it's against brand. So, if you're not aware of it, if you're not aware of it, it can really it can go down a, a track that you just go, "How the hell did that happen?" And it happened because you're not aware of it.
0: So that begs the question, and I'm thinking feverishly as I'm asking this: How does someone start to? understand their own brand the starting point for their brand now that isn't necessarily someone who's just starting out in life or starting out in work but could also be someone who's been around for a long time I'm th- I, I use myself and ex- as an example and I've got this podcast and I uh, I deliver programs all over the world but how do I start and how do the listeners start to understand the essence of their brand that starting point
2: yeah okay good point because um you, your brand evolves. Like, yeah. you know, our brand, like if you're talking about our personal brand, it evolves. Like, and when you just think about it, the way you were when you were 20 and the way you are when you are 40, you hope it's evolved. Like you, you hope you've evolved. <laughs> in some like it'd be some
0: kind sad. of organic change yeah, yeah. has taken place. there would
2: be some organic change. And fundamentally, we're probably still the same, but there probably has been change. So the way I... The way when I work with people around this, I sort of go, what do you want your brand to be? So not necessarily what it is now, but what do you want it to be? And this isn't a wish list. This isn't like, it's still got to be realistic. Yep. Um, but I also I also think about like, perhaps what do you want it to be considering your next job so I would say, put it out maybe two or three or five years' time, what do you want your brand to be?
0: So thinking a, in the future.
2: Thinking in the future. Right. Um, now, again, I stress it's not it's not a wish list. It's not saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really detailed and I want to be seen as strategic. Okay, well, that's probably not going to happen but it can be a bit of a stretch. So it's almost a stretch brand. Okay. And I would say, what well, if, if you had to get people to describe your brand, what would you want it to be? Like say in five words or five phrases. So do you wanna be known as a strategic thinker? Do you wanna be known as innovative? Do you wanna be known as um, a risk taker? Do you wanna be known as integrity? Like just think of what you want to be known for then what then i would what i'd get people then i'd get people to do a couple of things then ask then ask five other people just say if you had to describe me in sort of five words or five phrases what would it be so you suddenly get to get a picture of what people think you are now um, and ask people that know you now don't ask people that you work with 10 years ago i was going to ask that um, question
0: who who do you yeah. ask that question to all right yeah, so people so, who know you right now
2: People know you well. You might ask people that work for you. You might ask really good clients. You might know uh, suppliers. Um, I'd, keep, I'd keep it professional. I'd probably avoid asking your family. I...
0: I, I- I no oh, I hesitate no to even that. think what the answer will be. <laughs> if no, I you don't the want to. Family. Okay, you
2: don't want to go there, Adam. No. I remember um, just a sidetrack. I I had the privilege of going to Harvard about five years ago for an executive education program, and um, one of the things they said is ask three people really close to you if you, they could change anything about you. What would it be? And I made the mistake because we we're out for dinner with with the family before yep. I left. So I asked, I asked, you know, the family. <laughs> My daughter, who was 16 at the time, in a nanosecond said, I wish you would admit when you're wrong. And I was mortified. (laughs) It's just like, I said to her, I go, I don't think I've got a problem at all with admitting when I'm wrong. And she goes, I rest my case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me she's going to be a trial lawyer.
2: I don't know, she will be, she will be. <laughs> anyway, my, my youngest daughter, Jess, who was about 12, she goes, I wish when sometimes I say it's going to be hot or cold and you say it's hot and it's going to be cold, I go, well, well there's an app for that, Jess, you can change it.
0: Great. Well, so hu- there's great advice there. Don't ask the family. Don't ask the
2: family. My <laughs> husband brutal very brutal feedback. Very, very, yeah, my husband very wisely said he wouldn't change a thing. He's a very smart man.
0: He is a smart man.
2: Um, Yeah. So ask other people. Yep. And so what you, what you'll get is you'll get people. So you, you might go, I want to be known as um, a team player. And if everyone comes back saying, you know, they're a team player, they're collaborative, then that's good. If no one says that, if no one says you're a team player, then it might be, it, it might be. It's not as if you're not, but maybe that's just something you need to start amplifying if okay. that's what something you want to be known for. And so that's when we get to, okay, so how do we amplify it? This is when we become strategic about it. So that's when I'd be saying two things. What are some of the stories that you could share that shows you're a team player, that shows you're collaborative and find opportunities to share them? So it's, it's finding the stories that illustrate that. And then it's also what could you do? What could you do right now that would demonstrate you're a team player or collaborative? So it, it comes down to the things you, the stories you share and the things that you do that, that sort of generates those stories. I, um, to get to give an example, and this is an example of an individual, okay. so it might be helpful, is I did some work with a woman. Um, she was a senior leader, so she was pretty experienced. She was in her 50s and she was looking for a future role. And one of the future roles she was it was quite a strategic role around, but that involved managing risk. So the, the role she was looking at for they needed someone to be able to manage really complex risk. And she said she was, she was actually quite tiny. She was quite tiny and she'd had a bit of a health scare a couple of years ago where she'd had a minor, minor stroke and she'd fully recovered. Right. But she says, I think people are protecting me because they they look at me and they know about my health problem that they're thinking I wouldn't be able to handle those, you know, roles that manage risk. And she goes, but I can, I know I can. And I was like, okay, so we need to find stories that demonstrate you can. So I worked with her to find all these stories and she had so many stories. And I, I still remember the one she told me was about, um, you know, when she went scuba diving off the coast of Mexico and you just you just go, hello. It was just like, and she, and she talked about, you know, she was pulled underneath the water by an undercover rip. She came up, the boat was nowhere to be seen. None of the dive buddies were there except this one inexperienced uh, dive person, right. and so she went to them. She literally had to save his life and her life. She and she talked, you know, quickly talked through with all the things she did, um, and she just shared that story. And she actually shared it in a job in the job interview, the saying about the, you know uh, almost getting the message across. I take risks and not only I take risks, I can manage risk and I can make snap decisions in life, you know, life-changing, you know, threatening positions. And so she shared that story and that's, and that story, like the Barbie story, it completely changed people's opinion of her where they're going, wow, I didn't, wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize you did that or were like that. And so that's, that's what a, a story can do. But she was, She was really, she knew exactly the brand she was trying to get and she knew exactly the story she then needed to share to amplify those aspects of her brand.
0: So Gabrielle, I'm hearing a couple of things. There's got to be a level of congruence as regards the story you tell and the action you take. Otherwise, we're incongruent and then perhaps lack all credibility. So is is that a fair point for the first thing?
2: That's a absolutely so so first of all there's two things i've probably the most critical thing the story has to be true so it's got to be you can't make up stories like good advice good advice and it's absolutely got to be congruent so if you are sharing a story about you're a person of integrity you have to be you've got to live and breathe that so yeah it's they're the they're the two critical things that it's got to be this is not a wish list it's not manipulation it's not trying to pretend to be someone else it's authentic it's just going this it's authentic this is genuinely me but i'm just going to amplify some of the things that i want to be known for
0: that, and that's really interesting because i do a lot of work with leaders where we talk about their leader's shadow Uh, And I get them to look at four quadrants, what they say, how they act, what they measure and what they prioritise, just to understand whether they are congruent in the workplace. Uh, And there's no mischief to it because we're all humans and sometimes we say something, we do something that's the opposite and it'll probably be our children who actually point it out to us. But we've got to be congruent. But but also, I'm also interested, and this is the trial lawyer in me as well, when I think about the power of telling a story to a judge and a jury, there's something sticky and really compelling about a personal story. What's behind that, Gabrielle? Because as you say, when a story is told of this nature, it's not forgotten or a very strong association is made between story and person. And why is that happening?
2: Yeah, look, there's, there's so much science. There's a huge amount of science that proves that when, first of all, we're humans, so yep. we're hardwired to tell stories and listen to stories. When we share stories it taps into emotion and again as humans we're emotional people we we you we make decisions on emotion we just justify and rationalize on logic yep. um, and there's a huge amount of uh research that shows that when you tell a good story a personal story you not only the listener not only has a connection to the story but also the storyteller so it can fast track trust and fast track respect and strengthen relationships too often, though, in Adam, uh, in business, Adam, is when we, you know, we might be trying to communicate uh, our company values, for example, right. or, our, or our own values. And because we're doing it in a business setting, we think all the stories have to be business related like they've almost got to be case studies and stuff. And they're a lot of the time they're not even stories because they're case studies or they're, they're so business related that there's no emotional connection. But when we share a personal story, it's almost like we can have this instant connection to not only the message the person is trying to communicate, but also the storyteller. So um Let me give you another example. I mean, you know, we weren't we weren't going to do this podcast on storytelling without lots of stories. I I love an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, there are so many times, Adam. I hear people talk about the power of storytelling, like for about an hour, yet don't share a story. It's just like
0: (laughs) that's just that's just mean
2: it's madness <laughs> madness anyway let me give you an example yeah. i um i've got a client of mine i've known her for a while and one of her values is integrity so okay. she always talks about doing the right thing and look whenever she goes work for a cut co- she works for large corporates so they they've either got a company about a company value around integrity or honesty or doing the right thing or whatever so she can tie it to that but it's it's actually her own and so this is the story she shares um, so and she would say, whenever she goes and works for a new company, she shares this story. Whenever someone comes and works for her, she shares this story because she said, in her own words, she knows the heavy lifting it does. So right. let me share it. I'm yeah. going to share it. I'm going to, I'm going to pretend her name's Anne. Her name's Anne. So I'm going to pretend I'm Anne and just, I'll, I'll ask you later, you know, what do you get from that story? Like, you know, pretend I was, um, your new manager or working with you. So this, this is a story she shared. She said, in the early 60s, my dad was a professional swimmer and he reached the point in his career where he actually tried out for the National Swim Squad. And on the day of the meet, he was apparently winning his race and he did the tumble turn at the end and he slightly misjudged and he missed the walls. Now, this was in the early 60s, so it was way before sensors, the yep. technology, the sensors in the wall. But with all, And they had judges at the end, but with all the splashing and kicking, he knew they wouldn't know if he touched the wall or not. So he had to make a split-second decision. Does he go back and touch the wall or does he just, keep going. And he decided to go back and touch the wall and you don't like you don't recover from a race when you do that. and he didn't. So he never made the national squad. And I would often ask Dad, are there days when you regret going back and touch the wall? And he said, and he'd always say, I've never regretted doing that because if I didn't go back and touch the wall, I'd have to spend the rest of my life knowing I did the wrong thing. Yeah. And I'm sharing this with you because when I look at our value integrity, I think of my dad it's only a matter of time before we will come across our own go back and touch the wall moment and i invite you to consider what my dad will do wow that's, that's- the story so like what do you get at like that's just such a powerful story so it like and i wanted to share that example because it's answering your question it was like what's so powerful about a story why, why does it create a connection to so it not only creates a connection to the message the person gets their message across better but it creates a connection to the storyteller and when i run my training workshops i sort of ask people so what are you now thinking and they're going i can trust her i have high respect for her she's inspiring i want to work for her this is the standard she holds herself to this is the standard she expects from us so it's just like all these things like just powerful powerful story
0: and so if somebody not if somebody Anybody listening to this right now, what what could be their their almost three or four point plan of what they should do or or the order that they should go through to start the process of thinking about their own personal brand and their own personal story with it?
2: Yeah. So start with defining what you want your brand to be. So whether this is you personally as an individual or your company or whatever, but what do you want your brand to be? Then it is look for stories from your past. And it could be, you know, like Anne's story was about her dad. They don't necessarily have to be about you. But look for stories of when you have done, lived this value. Right. And most importantly, Adam, look for stories when you haven't lived the value. So sharing a story when you didn't, you know, say you want to be known as honesty, like sharing a story of when you lied. And to this day, you regret it. Okay. They, they can be some of your most powerful. So if you share a story about when you didn't live that value, but the lesson you learned from that, and especially if it's a story about when you're a kid, you did something when you were 10, this tiny little thing, and it's, it, it's, it, it's still you're still thinking about it. So by default, they go, okay, this really means important to you. So it's finding stories you can share. And then it's doing things that will create stories. So if, if you want to be known as generous, find stories that you can share that would demonstrate that. Yep. But what, what could you do right now to be generous? And once, once you're aware of that's what you want your brand to be, you'll find opportunities to be generous.
0: And there's that congruence again in relation to so defining your brand and making feverish notes as we've been chatting as well, Gabriel. So yeah, yeah. defining that brand, looking for stories that support and actually undermine it. But what was the lesson learned? Uh, and then in, in the in the uh, element of congruence is and then doing things which support the very brand that you've defined. And we talked earlier, didn't we, about people being able to define their brand almost as a as a newspaper headline. So kind of five words, yeah. six words. Is that is that right? Is that the best thing as well for them yeah, to try and I, do? Yeah, I
2: think. Yeah, and it doesn't whether it's five or six or three or four. Just like, sure. you know, if, if you wanted to be, you know, like, again, what are the stories people are sharing about you when you're not in the room? What do you want those stories to be? Do they want and, you know, and evolve? And it's also career, uh, career-wise career too. I mean, I talk about evolving your brand. Early on in your career, you might want to be known as hardworking and um, diligent and stuff like that. But as you evolve in your career, I'm not saying you don't want to be known as hardworking but you might want to be known as strategic yeah so how do you just gradually evolve in that and 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 your brand is evolving as you are evolving as a person
0: so Gabrielle how do people get hold of you? Because obviously I've got a couple of your books here, so thank you very much. I've got your stories, your brand, and magnetic stories. Uh, so these are now faithfully uh, in my studio. Um, how do people get in touch with you so they can carry on the conversation and find out more?
2: Yeah, look, I'm on LinkedIn and yep. all the socials, but on my website, so gabrieldolan.com, um, what you, if, if you're storytelling is something you're interested in, on the website there's a free seven-day storytelling starter kit, so it's, right. it's free. Um, and it's if you sign up to that, you'll literally get an email from me once a day for seven days, and it contains a really short video. And it will just help you start thinking about how you could find these stories, where you could share them. So that that's a that's a good place to start. I'm, I'm going
0: to do that, Gabrielle. I'm going to yeah, start. I'm going to do that. I'm gonna do, that. You do that. All right.
2: You do that. And and all my all my books are available on you know all the usual you know Amazon and everywhere. So all the usual online and bookstores.
0: Oh well, this has been great to chat to you. But I've got a final question, which I ask everyone, Gabrielle, and that is, what is the kind of most standout piece of leadership advice? that you've given or received that springs to mind for you?
2: I've, I've, I know it, it is the standout piece of advice. I know I was about 28 when I got it. Yep. And uh, ironically, it's probably linked to this evolving brand thing where my manager said to me, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And I'm not sure at the time whether she was just talking about dress as in what you wore. Right. But to me, it's to me it is that, but it's also metaphorical. So it's like, you know, act act in the way the job you want. So dress for the job you want, not the job you have.
0: Love that. And I think we can link that to this episode in relation to storytelling. And as you say, thinking three or four years ahead of where you want to be and what you want to get to.
2: Yeah, and it is, I, I sort of say, you know, if you want to be an astronaut, but you're flipping burgers at McDonald's, maybe don't come dressed in a you know, space suit. But.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Halloween lends itself to all kinds of stuff, doesn't it? Which is, Gabriel, listen, this has been absolutely brilliant to chat to you. Thank you so much. I'm going to do uh, that program that you've just spoken about. So look out for my email uh, and I can start to think about what I want to be when I grow up too, which will be but thanks so much for being an amazing guest on the leadership enigma i hope you've had fun
2: uh thanks adam hope it's been useful
1: brilliant take care join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the leadership enigma we'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests get in touch with your host on linkedin or our youtube channel and remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.